listening to Australia's tax news podcast. Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 36 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson. CIS is at the centre of a perfect storm. On the one hand, it has become relatively easy to set up shop in an offshore tax haven. But on the other hand, thanks to CIS, it is becoming a lot easier for the ATO and tax authorities worldwide to find Australian residents in offshore tax havens. I'm talking to Ben Sewell, who is an insolvency lawyer in Sydney, and I asked Ben, what is the CIS? Here's his answer. So CRS means Common Reporting Standard, and what that is a law that's been brought in in Australia to align Australia with an agreement it made with, with the other countries other than America in the G20. And so what this represents is a... Um, concerted attack on the offshore world by the G20 to force the offshore world to one, disclose the beneficial owners of companies and also to disclose the beneficial holders of bank accounts. So did everybody in the G20, apart from the US, sign up to the CIS? Yes, they did. And so what you find is around the world now there's banks that are struggling to comply with this. And the CRS is a, um, a very strong approach to helping the ATO in Australia to gather information to verify what assets Australian taxpayers have declared. So as you know, under Australian tax returns, you're required to declare foreign-held assets and also we have a worldwide uh, basis of ta taxation in Australia. So if you're an Australian taxpayer, you're required to pay tax on all of your income around the world. And so historically, if you held your money or held, held your assets through offshore um, corporations or in offshore bank accounts, um, then there was no way the ATO could find out about it if you uh, decided not to declare it. Uh, whereas now this is a, um, a potential for the ATO to gather information and, um, and cross-compare what Australian taxpayers have put in their tax returns with information from offshore banks and offshore ju jurisdictions. The G20 don't include any offshore tax havens. How do the G20 make the offshore tax havens to comply with these reporting standards? Well, there is um, penalties in on offshore banks. So if you're an offshore bank and you don't comply with the CRS, then what you would face is a withholding tax. So any Australian bank that is engaged in transactions with a bank based in the off offshore world is required as a counterparty to the transaction to comply as well. So that so it's a, a, a policing through the financial system itself. Okay, so if I was an Australian bank and I'm supposed to transfer $1 million to BVI, I'm no longer allowed to transfer this $1 million unless BVI has signed up to the CIS reporting regime. If they haven't signed up, then I need to withhold oh, tax. tax. Yeah, so there's a, a related compliance law, which is called FATCA. So that's the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act, which is an American act. And in America, if you um, are dealing as a counterparty with a bank that is not compliant with FATCA, the American bank is required to withhold 30% of the payment as a tax. So that has a very strong effect because no bank in America would encourage 
any uh, any uh, depositor to transfer funds overseas if there's a, a 30% withholding tax. And does CIS do the same? Does CIS also have yes, a certain Yes, yes, it does, but I, I can't tell you the, the exact... Um, percentage, but it is, some, it is there's also a withholding tax percentage. What's what's interesting is that with the CRS, all of the, um, the offshore jurisdictions have signed up to it and agreed to it by now. So the BVI, the Cam, Cam, Cayman Islands, up Bermuda, Belize, uh, whatever jurisdiction it, it is, has agreed to uh, comply. Why did they do that? Because it basically kills their business model. I think it undermines the model that they've got. It doesn't necessarily kill it. They don't charge tax in those juris jurisdictions. I think that they were forced to or else... Unless otherwise they would have this withholding tax hitting them. Yeah, or, or, or else that perhaps they would have been a victim to the next round of controls or the next round of pro prohibitions. Hmm. Oh, okay, so all offshore tax havens have signed up to the CIS and probably also the FEDK. Yeah, look, that's because uh, you've got, on the one hand, a, uh, a uh, democratisation of the offshore world, so it's very easy to incorporate and send funds overseas. And yet, on the other hand, you have a huge increase in the powers of the ATO to capture information regarding the offshore world. So if, if you're an Australian taxpayer and you've, you've, you've lived offshore, you've lived somewhere and you've set up a... Um, a bank account that you've decided not to disclose to the ATO, then you could find yourself in hot, hot water. What is going on right now is in the offshore world, they have a uh, process called Know Your Customer and they're asking more and more questions of the, um, the holders of bank accounts. And this all goes to down the line of, of the beneficial owner of the account or, and um, that is the information that's being closed, disclosed ultimately to the ATO. It's 100 jurisdictions now. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's huge. Like the level of work that would have gone into putting it together to force every bank in 100 juris jurisdictions to send in information to the ATO. And that means that every form all, all these banks fill in to open a new bank account, they need to tick off. Are you an Australian citizen? Tick. What's your bank account? Uh, sorry, your passport uh, number? Tick. What's your address in Australia, Tick? That's huge. So the US issued the FEDK in 2010, so they enacted the FEDK provisions in 2010, whereas the CIS only came in through the G20 in 2014. So the US had basically four years head start in implementing all this. Was the CIS modelled on the FEDK provisions? I don't think Donald Trump invented um, America first. So it's clear that America used its power in the, um, the financial um, system to um, start to capture information before everyone else. And um, it appears that the, that the G20, so everyone else in the, uh, in the developed world, including Australia, was a few years behind. But it's certainly a great example of the most powerful country in this world being able to use its ec its, its economic power to force the Swiss or the British overseas uh, territories to disclose information to to their banks and and ultimately to to the IRS. I'm sure it would have taken a long time. And look, I did come across a um, a Senate report from 1922 on the use of tax havens, and so this is something that's been going on a long time. I'm sure that the 
the thought that, that went into this law has been in train for a long time. How are CIS and FEDK different? Are CIS and FEDK pretty Well, I think close? for Australian accountants and the Australian ATO, there is no... Relevant difference. There is no relevance of FATCA to them because it relates to, um, to American. That is, unless any Australian accountants have any American taxpayers as, as clients. Uh, CRS is relevant particularly to Australians because um, it, it's, it's information that the ATO is going to get hold, hold, hold of. Now, I think there's going to be a, um, a change in the scope of the information that's received by the ATO. So whatever Australian accounts have read this year about uh, the scope, so for example, uh, the passport particulars, bank account numbers, home address, uh, beneficial ownership name, etc. Whatever the information that the ATO is going to get now will change over time because that I would expect that information to increase and that you know the the pathway of globalisation is only going to uh, develop. And so, the FEDK is not so relevant to Australian tax professionals because it would only be relevant for funds that are held in the U.S. Yes. And it is less likely that the U.S. are, are used to hide to hide assets or funds. Yes, unless the Australian accountant who has an American um, dom- domicile client has to, to interact with this law, which you'd think is pretty unlikely because they'd say, go, go to an American accountant anyway. Um, CIS has no threshold, is that correct? The FEDK has a threshold, uh, and quite a high yeah. threshold. I think 100,000 US dollars or something. Don't quote me on it, but I think it's quite high. Whereas I think CIS has no threshold. And that really goes to the sh- shifting sands. That just because there's a threshold this year hmm. doesn't mean there's going to be one next, next year. In terms of the disclosure of the, of the bank account, I, I don't think there's any threshold on the amount held in the bank account. So if there's any money in a bank account, it, it gets disclosed. Yeah. Uh, so even look, the existence of the bank account gets disclosed. I think perhaps you could talk about the, the, the historical accounts. So if it's a historical account where there's no link to an Australian, you know, that's something to have a think, think about. Look, one thing that we just can't predict is um, with overseas accounts where there has not been a full level of compliance relevant to CRS. So that means if the overseas bank hasn't gotten the Australian's passport number and Australian address as to whether that's actually going to go back to the ATO. We don't know. That muddies the waters because this is a completely new compliance regime. So what happens with every bank account and every Australian that, that has uh, a recorded investment class asset over, over, uh, that is held overseas before 2017? We just don't know. Hmm. So we don't know how far back the ATO will go and also we don't know how far back the, the banks will go, whether they will now contact every client and ask for their details or whether they will just do that for new clients. That's right. And you'd imagine that in some jurisdictions, some banks are more diligent than others because obviously there's a pretty strong incentive not to be very uh, diligent because it means you don't need to send inf- uh, send information overseas about clients that... Um, may withdraw the money when, if they work out that um, uh, their tax authority back home, we will chase it. And FEDK is only about bank accounts, whereas CIS, I think, is about bank accounts and land holdings, isn't it? Yes, it is. I'm not sure how that's going to work because most countries on earth have public red registers of land. So uh, I'm just not sure how 
the ATO is going to go around the world and just capture all this information. Um, the mind boggles a bit. Uh, and also the layering of, of ownership of an asset is, is the most important thing. So what, what I mean by, sorry, the most difficult aspect of it. So what I mean by that is if you, for example, have one company in one country which owns another company, which owns another company, which um, hold, was, has a trust and is the beneficial owner of a piece of land in another country. How that's possibly going to be tracked back to Australia, I don't know. What is of interest is the direction that it's going in mm. rather than the... The, the details. Um, yeah, and because it, it will change. How much do you think the CIS will affect Australia? It's mainly the banks, isn't it? Normally accountants or tax professionals basically just have to be more vigilant in, in advising their clients to not go to tax havens anymore. But in the, the actual operation of the CIS basically just affects the banks, doesn't it? Well, look, it, it could affect an accountant to the extent that they may need to, um, well, not need to, but it to serve their clients better. They, they may need to be a bit more observant with how some of their international clients uh, disclose information. So if if um, an Australian-based accountant is, is acting for someone who works off, offshore, I don't know, they work on an oil rig or, or they've been based overseas for a few uh, years and they ask them specifically about foreign-held held assets just to clarify with them, look, you know, if you, if you did leave any bank accounts overseas, that, that um, there's a possibility that the ATO might, find, might find, find out about it. If you do own any land overseas, there's a possibility the ATO might find, find out about that as well. That would be the level of, I think, increased our diligence that an Australian-based accountant should apply. Welcome back. I find it amazing how quickly the CIS was implemented. When you think about how long any climate change agreements have been in the pipelines, the speed with which the CIS came through is breathtaking. The G20 leaders committed to the idea, the idea, nothing else, in September 2013. And less than four years later, on the 1st of July 2017, the whole thing comes into effect. In the next episode, episode 37, Peter Adams will talk about the effective use of family trust structures. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. Mm -hmm.